Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 149 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I are reading books for the first time. In this episode, we're reading, well, actually we're finishing J.R.R. Tolkien's The Children of Hurin. Thank God. Welcome to the book wrap party. Rob, do you have any housekeeping? Nope. Okay. I feel like there might have been some, but I'm also not remembering it, so we're just going to say it doesn't exist. That was last week Rob's problem, or two weeks ago, or however long it was. Yeah, he's he's long dead. Um, okay, so then I don't I don't either. So I say we just jump into uh, chapter sixteen. The coming of Glaurung. After marrying his sister, Turin's compelled to break his oath against waging war, as reports that Glaurung burns the forest near Nagothrond, and may make his way towards Brithil. His now pregnant sister wife begs him to remain with her, but he refuses and marches his men towards the destroyed city. Not to be outdone, Niniel takes up arms and leads many of the remaining men of Brithil towards battle as well, including her spurned consort, Brandir. Uh, I have a note here on page 223 that just says, well, I guess any hopes of a zero incest book is off the table. Yeah, my first note is Niniel conceived. Welp. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah yeah because you thought they had one of them uh completely platonic marriages but no i was really hoping it'd be like and they put the ring on their finger and then someone they go in for the kiss and someone interrupts it and they're like hark dragon mm-hmm. black blade please come save us and then he'd go i gotta go and then like he would she would go well can't we kiss first and he'd go i gotta go go and then and then and then he'd turn and run and she she would be like oh damn it and then and then he would die in battle and she'd be like here i am unfulfilled on my wedding night hey brandier yeah hey brandier bring your foot in here yeah exactly i i i still need to uh continue to the line of of hurin so you know what that means but that doesn't happen that does not happen that would be that would be cool if that did happen, but it's not what happened. What happened is they fucked. They got funky. Um, yeah, they for a, a while it seems like it doesn't. It seems like they, like you said, they oh, yeah. are married for months, and yeah. they had hundreds of wedding nights. Yeah, and then and then eventually sometimes wedding mornings, and then eventually uh, <laughs> we've had one wedding night. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> What about elevensies? Oh my. <laughs> okay, so there's a little more drama going on between what's his name, Brandier, and and there's this still the, the awkward love triangles continuing. Not for long, but it, it, it's still sort of continuing. He's still sort of needling uh Niniel, whose real name I've completely forgotten. Nienor, something stupidly similar. I, I think I just it was one of those where I'm just like, look at it. I'm like, it's Ninor. Yeah. Like, neener, neener. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't spend a lot of time trying to parse this or put them in my head. Oh, I'm not worried about the uh, pronunciation. Just like trying to vaguely keep track of which ones are tied together. They go to battle together. And then the next chapter basically happens, I guess. Do you have any notes? Uh, the only other note I have was on the actual writing. And maybe I'm off base here, but it basically said, Read like this. The river 
And that's mine. I put it in brackets because they didn't quite say that, but that's what they were talking about. Right. The river ran in deep ravines whose great sides were like walls of rock. I said, that's like a useless use of a simile. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, the, wouldn't the great size just be walls of rock? I don't know. Maybe it's me. That's funny. Well, thank you. I, I, <laughs> yeah, that's a good, the, the, the walls in my home are like that of dry. Yeah. Wall. <laughs> They're like unto p- plaster thing. My truck was like a automatic mobile. Yeah. I don't know if that's what auto actually stands for in that. Anyway. Auto, auto means go, doesn't it? Does it? Nova. No go. Or mobile means go. Auto means self. Self go. Auto means Yeah, auto means self. Yeah. Self mobilization. It doesn't matter. The point is Tolkien was silly here. Or Christopher. Whichever Tolkien we're talking about. Could be both. Let's just say Christopher. Christopher was silly here. Okay, moving on. Chapter 17. The death of Glaurung. Turumbar makes his way to Glaurung and stabs the dragon in the belly. The beast flails in agony, falling into a ravine slash clearing to his death. Ninil and the reluctant Brandir make their way to the bodies of Turin and Glaurung. There Ninil cries at the sight of her slain beloved. The sounds of her mourning wake the dragon who lifts his curse of forgetfulness, forgetfulness from her and confirms that she and her slain baby daddy were siblings. The children of Hurin, cursed by Morgoth. After the dragon finally dies the true death, the beset princess leaps to her death into a river beneath a bridge. Brandir makes his way back to Brithil and informs the townspeople of the tragedy of the children of Hurin. Then they rename the land the grave of the children of Hurin. Only two uh, notes for me. Uh, one dude, leave that fucking sword. <laughs> that was a, you know, in the moment note where I was just like, oh, this is going to go badly. Why are you reaching for that? Leave the sword and the dragon. Yeah. And it did. It did exactly what I thought. It was like, everyone saw that coming. Why are you such an idiot? Yeah. And then just, damn, that dragon is mean. I really like Glaurung. Oh, he's, he's the best character <laughs> he's, in the book. He's my favorite character because when he just like, he's like, I'm dying, but oh, guess what? Surprise! Here's my wedding gift. Mim oh. is a close second best character in the book, but, but Mim just disappears. Like, no, but, uh, but that's not what makes him cool. What makes him cool is his pettiness. The sure. fact that he he's is a petty a pe- dwarf. he's a petty dwarf. He really is. It's it's honestly sounds more like a slur than a like a race name. Um, mm-hmm. He because he's just like remember when he like he's like he sleeps a comfortable night's sleep and they wake him up and he's like, well, I hate to break it to you guys, but you shackled me. Which I hadn't at no point before said was a bad thing to do. But you did it. And I can't forgive it. And I just want you to know that I'm the scorpion on your back now. <laughs> and I'm going to take you to my house. But I promise you, I'm going to kill all of you. Because you bound me. <laughs> and they're all like, oh, what a silly little dwarf. What a silly guy saying silly dwarf things. I like and this th- meme. And then he's like, I told you. Here's some potatoes. I'm going to kill you. And <laughs> and and they're all just like, ah, what a silly dwarf. So so I think that's a really good character too. Yeah, Glaurung is is by far the best. But that's that feels like postscript notes. Um sure. But I agree, every time he talks, it's awesome. 
What was your other note? Oh, that was it. The dragon's mean and leave the fucking sword. Oh, right, 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 right. Uh, my note here in this chapter is, is a again, it's like an after everything note. Tolkien makes a big deal about names and their significance. People are named for their attributes, like laughter. But then those names and their significance are cast aside for nicknames and renames. Do you think this cheapens the original name's significance, or is it instead representative of personal growth, the way an egg might become an omelet? Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's intended to be that one. I think it's an older um, approach to naming. How you would just like add your titles, and it, it's in, in you know nowadays we just really have like doctor letters that people mm. care about. But back in the day, it's like I'm Rob the Carpenter, who also banished a dog from his house once, and makes fine ale. Like wow, that Rob does a lot. He's cool. Oh, I know what I can expect from that man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, like, for me, it like it just gets confusing. I mean, I know we've said this throughout this whole uh, book, and I, I certainly hope in in later Tolkien books it's better. Yeah, it's it's just I I uh, I think it's a detriment more than anything. Like, I get I get the need for subterfuge and to take a a, a different name to be, you know, secreted in, mm-hmm. through, as a character like Turin is, but to to force the audience to completely assume the new name every time another one submitted, I feel like is a, is a asking too much. Well, I mean, again, it's like that whole Aragorn Strider thing or Gandalf the Greg Stormcloud thing or Stormcrow. I don't remember. Uh, are you, are you, you're not talking about Mithra and Deal, are you? Because that's uh... no, but there's another one. Right. No, I thought I thought he had one um, with the uh, the horse people. They called him like oh. Gandalf Stormcrow. I don't remember, but it's still you know preceded by Gandalf. But I I, I think it is just that thing. Um, I still feel the other books are gonna read better because I've read them both long uh-huh. ago, and I do not remember having this reaction to them. Good, good, good. So there's that. Um, but yeah, that's a that sucked, and I was over it. I'm over. I'm over yeah. the new names, uh, which is good because the book's over. Yeah, although the names chapter's not. No. no, they're not. Okay, you're not done? No, no, nothing else. Okay, cool, cool. All right, chapter 18. The Death of Turin. Which seems like an odd name for a chapter after he's dead. <laughs> but whatever, Chris. Oh, wait, no, he's not. You're right. He's, he comes back. Flowering was dead. No, but no, Turin's supposed to be dead at this point. He isn't, but that right. keeps happening. In these right. three, these last three chapters, people die. And then or Glaurung is dead. Then he wakes up and jostles and says something. Then he dies again. And then he wakes up and jostles and says something again. It's Turin, really Romeo and Juliet over and over and over. It is exactly Romeo and Juliet over and over and over. Uh, Turin gets venom all over his hands and passes out. He's dead. Uh-oh, he's not really dead. What's up next? It's just aggravating. Also, I will say, the titles for the... the at this point in the book, I'm comfortable saying, the titles for the chapters in this book are dumb. They are lazy... And they have a sort of, like, grandness to them, but they are too literal. Like, hmm. like it's like every chapter is titled The Last Supper. And it's like, okay, I, I get it. I get what's happening here. But, like, can, can every chapter... Like, how many chapters are called The Death of Something? The Death of Beleg, The Death of Turin, The Death of Glaurung. There's at least three. At least three. In, in an 18-chapter book, that's, you know, almost, what, a fourth? A uh, sixth. A sixth? Yeah, so... So yeah, it's it's too much. It, it just tr- try a little harder, I guess. And there's plenty of options, but whatever. It's 
it's done. All right, so chapter 18, The Death of Turin. Here we go. Uh, this is a long one. Okay. Turns out Turin is not dead. Waking from his venom-induced slumber, Turin finds his hands bound and mended. He stands, taking pride in his great black blade and its Ds. On his way back, he meets his people and Brandir, who are shocked at his presence. They clear the air, but throw Brandir under the bus, insisting he misrepresented Turin's death and might have likewise misrepresented Nenial's death. Anger and jealousy lash from both men like flames from a bonfire until Turin's black blade crashes down upon Brandir, silencing him forever. Parentheses. Or until the next chapter with the way these last few deaths are going. End parentheses. <laughs> a distraught Turin flees the villagers into the woods and weeps before finding himself in the presence of Mablong and his elf guard. They explained how his mother and sister were lost in search of him and vaguely confirmed that his sister was the woman he took to wife and impregnated. Filled with sorrow and rage, Turin goes back to the bridge where his sister wife died and asks his black blade if it would kill him. The blade speaks and agrees to make amends for the innocent lives Turin has taken with it, specifically Beleg and Brandir. Turin agrees and willfully uh, falls upon the sword. Glaurung was burned, and his bones bashed to the ground where he died, a plot where nothing would ever grow again. And nearby, a great stone where elvish runes marked the death of Turin and his sister wife. After their deaths, Morgoth released Turin from his imprisonment, and he made his way to the site where he found an old, broken-toothed hag cowering before the engraved stone. The two locked eyes and recognized each other's faces as their spouse. Such is how Morwen spent her last hours on Middle-earth. Although she, too, in, had another name for a bit. In Middle-earth, I should say. Yeah. At her children's grave with her long-lost husband and king. So, yeah, I'll, uh, fuck. A lot happens there. <laughs> yeah. I don't really have any notes, but just to, to, to spruce that up a little bit, it's it's just it is like you uh i think romeo and juliet's a really good comparison uh in terms of it being a it's a, it's a tragedy you know the the tragedy of turin i think i didn't realize going in it was going to be a tragedy right i was like i was thinking adventure and fun and good will win the day yeah and you know eight of the nine fellowships survive so hooray and nope which yeah. makes sense for it's the kind of epic tale they would have told back in the day yeah i just wasn't i guess expecting it yeah, I think it's like I don't remember uh, very much from Beowulf, but I my memory is that Beowulf's family gets murdered by someone. Like everybody dies essentially. I think Grendel maybe was, was it Grendel? I couldn't remember if it was Grendel or somebody else. I never read Beowulf. Okay, I just know that Angelina Jolie did the mocap. Yes, for Grendel's mom. Yes, I'm pretty sure Grendel's mom has a name too. I can't think of it. Yeah. Never saw that movie, um, but I am aware of it. Did it read like this? Did Beowulf have that kind of well, oh, turgid well, writing? Um, Beowulf reads entirely different because Beowulf was completed. So, uh, or mm. Be Beowulf is a direct translation versus a piecing together. Yeah, th this is a Frankenstein's monster of a story. So we'll like, get to that. <laughs> yeah. So, so it. it uh, I think there's a huge difference there, but as we will get to it, I think that the intention was at, at one point to make this story a lot more like Beowulf. Gotcha. Well, so notes for this chapter. Sure. God Turin is a dick. Yeah. This is in slaying Brandir. Yeah. Uh, the fucking sword talks way to bury the lead. <laughs> uh, 
that would have been such an interesting character to have just a, a blade sniping at everybody through the whole thing. I'm going to cut you. I'm going to cut you so much. I'm going to cut that dude. I'm going to cut that motherfucker. I'm going to cut anything that moves. I want a talking sword that's basically Jason Mewes. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that's Well, I guess you've cast it. And then last and not least, just sucks to be her in. Yeah, I I want to know what happens to her in after this. I I feel like I we miss a little bit. Like he, it story ends with him just being like, "Oh man," but like, <laughs> what what happens next? Wasn't more when his wife Elvish? No, wait, maybe. I don't think. I so. thought she had some like 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 in an Elrond kind of way. She was partially Elvish, so I don't know. I'm. I thought. She, why didn't she just go on? You know, because elves don't die. Even partial elves often don't die. Daughter of uh, wife. Uh, I don't fucking know. I'm not getting. I'm not getting. I'm not following this up. Nope. I don't think so. I think that there were. I think there were just too many characters with similar names. I think that um, Morwen and then uh, Thingol's wife have um, similar sounding names. Hmm. Uh, she is called Elf Sheen, which I think means um, elf friend. Hmm. Maybe not. Oh, there's probably like a uh, fun little. I'm just gonna Google her. Okay. If you're gonna Google her, you should also Google who is Thingol's wife. Morwen Schmookler. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'll add Tolkien to it and see what happens. Apparently, there's a Morwen in uh, Lord of the Rings. A hmm. Rohirrim woman. Hmm. Let's see here. Oh, here we go. Tolkien Gateway Morwen, the correct one. She's described as being the most beautiful mortal woman of her time. So there we go. Not certainly not undying. Uh, who oh, do you want me to look up? I, 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 I looked it up. Thingol's wife was Melian, M-E-L-I-A-N. So Morwen Melian. I can see how that can get confused. Oh, I, I see. What, I see what you're saying. I did now, and that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I would still have preferred to hear a little bit more about what happens to Horin. Yeah. Um, just because, like, it, it sort of sounds like it, he just it, his story ends with him just sitting there and looking at her. And I, and again, we'll get into probably why there is no more information about that. Okay, are you ready to move on? Let's move on. All right, to Appendix One, which, ha- which has a subtitle. Genealogies. Oh, really? Oh, you don't want to talk about genealogies? Sorry, what? I get mixed There's up. The genealogies. I don't Gene- want to talk the, about the, the 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 family trees. Oh, I don't want to talk about that. If you'd like to, if you'd like, oh, just to, Rob, just it showed up. Elrond was seemed to be related to everybody. Okay, well here's let's here, let's talk about the uh, genealogies a little bit because I actually do have a thought about them, but I don't know how to express it. So, okay, if you look at your genealogies, uh, there's some things here that bother me quite a bit. <laughs> I noticed there were two Hurons on the first page. That I think is probably where my a lot of my problem comes from is that. I can't understand the marriage between Galdor and Hereth. I think they're cousins. This is the first page of genealogies? Yeah, the House of Hador and the people of Hareth. Okay. Hareth and Galdor. The, this would be Huron's parents. Yes. I. Oh, shit. What the? I see your problem now. Yes, exactly. There's not two Hurons. It's no, the same No, they're the Hurons. same person. Yes. I think it's trying to... Perhaps say both of Harith's parents. No, okay, I know what it is. 
Ah, okay. I think this is the, it's slightly different. Okay. I think what it's actually trying to say is that Hador Goldenhead. Oh shit! Am I wrong? It's just listing one person each. It isn't okay. So this is confusing. Hador mm-hmm. Goldenhead, Lord of Dor Loman, has two children: Galdor and Glorydel. Mm-hmm. Then Halmir has two uh, of Breathheel has two children: Holdir of Breathheel and Hereth. Mm-hmm. Then the children of both of them marry each other. Yes. Both sets marry yes. each other. Yes. And then they have children. Yes. Okay, so that's what's happening. Is that it's like, yeah, two houses were completely locked. Yes. Okay, so it's not necessarily incest. It's just weird. Right. All right. Well, there you go. I guess I'm. I feel like there was an e- probably a better way to depict that in this family tree. <laughs> but they all road, all roads lead to Elrond. He's on every true. page here. He, he he does come through from the house of Bayor. In the princess Finwe, which is good to know, and probably will come up. I have heard tell that apparently, uh, in relation to El- Elrond's histories and his lineage, that apparently uh, Aragorn and Arwen are related before marriage. But I mean, if you go back far enough, everyone's related. I guess, but they went back far enough to track it, so that feels like the line. <laughs> like, where if, you, if you can't track it, you're you're set. If you, if you can, as soon as you start tracking it, you got a problem there, bud. Hmm. To the appendix. One. The evolution of the great tales. Summary. Christopher Tolkien walks us through a chronological account of his father's unfinished works, various iterations, including when and where he wrote them. It mostly gets confusing and repetitive, but what it boils down to is J.R.R. kept coming back to the Turin story over a 30-year period, and the resulting notes and incomplete versions were compiled and organized into the book we've just read. Yeah. Um, it was fine. I was reading it, and I realized I would have much preferred if this afterword, whatever you want to call it, the appendices, was written by Tolkien himself. Mm-hmm. That would have been so much more interesting. Yeah. Um, I would have been like, I would, I would have, I think it's how often he was, Christopher said, oh, my father did this and we'll never know why. Like, well, shit, that's all I want to know. I think that, like, I was thinking about this, I had a conversation with another friend about it. He, his suggestion was perhaps being a fan, as much of a fan of like ancient mythology as Tolkien was and how. Um, so many of like the Norse mythological tales are left unfinished or out of order or what we know of them doesn't really correspond to a kind of narrative history as we'd expect it to be, um, Mm -hmm. you know, linear or otherwise that perhaps it was part of his intention to leave a story that was from an ancient time, like the children of Huron fragmented and broken. But, 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 and that's a, that's a fine, like, I think that's a bit of a romantic way to look at this, but uh, especially after reading what Christopher said, and he's like, "Look, just going through what I know about my father's process and the, the what happened in his life, it certainly seems most likely that his lofty standards for how epic this story needed to be, and his penchant for completely restarting a story every time he went back to revisit it, were the reasons why this story was fragmented and delayed and incomplete as much as it was, which right. makes a lot more sense to me." 
Um, like if you if you were gonna build a deck and then every time you took a break you went back and started over because you were like I can only build this deck in one straight shot. Right. You would never have a finished deck, right. and it wouldn't be because you were reasonable. It's because you were a weirdo who had, was with a perfectionist <laughs> problem. <laughs> so those people born on January third, man, they are fucked up. <laughs> And they, Not yeah, like I, those people I, born in I think, uh, April. I think that is a fair statement. <laughs> so I think that's probably what happened. That, that, that we just, but but in that, he, uh, Tolkien, Christopher also mentions this idea that we are sort of lucky that at some point in his revisions, his father decided to just say "fuck it," I'm going to start wherever I left off and start working on like what happens at the end of the story with Turin slaying Glaurung and dying and killing himself and his sister dying and and Hurin coming down and being released from uh, Morgoth all those things feel like very interesting like to know that he he was like no I actually need to write this all down finally so that's kind of cool because I was worried at a certain point in the way he was describing it that Christopher was about to reveal that he like filled in the blanks at the end yeah and I was like oh that would that would make me feel disappointed and like like we lost something and I'll give this to Christopher. I mean, this comes up later in the next chapter, but he uh, he cites the very few times he did that shit. He yes, and and, and so then that's let's just get into the next one. The next second appendix right. is called the composition of the text. Uh, this appendix deals with Christopher Tolkien's clarifying in unnecessary detail why he changed some words or order of events <laughs> in this presentation of his father's unfinished works. Shut the fuck up, Chris. It doesn't matter as much as you think it does. <laughs> I realized that if they were going west, the stars wouldn't be there, so I changed it. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah, that part in this section where he's like, here's the map that explains why uh, of this fictional place that is very real. Um, and this explains why none of the things my father said make sense. Unless. <laughs> it's like, Dude, you're not cracking Tutankhamun's tomb. Like, it's it's pretend, it's fair, it's on fairy stories, okay? It is a pretend thing. And... It's okay that your dad, mm-hmm. like, like okay, Chris, let's talk about this. How are we sure what phase of the moon we were in on that that night? Because he talks about that in that in the second appendix. Also, he talks about mm-hmm. like the moon was specifically described as being this large. How do we know, man? How do we know? Do we have a complete astro cartography of this area? Do we have, do we have predictive models about when the sun rises, sets, and the moon comes out? Do we know? Yeah, atmospheric conditions. Yeah, etc. Yeah, what hemisphere are we in? Like, right? D- come on, man, let it go. It doesn't need to be that detailed. We can just accept that narratively, the stars are out, the moon is out, and they are heading whatever direction they need to be heading. So it's like, I felt like those were sort of unnecessary, but like, other things were nice to hear, but that one specifically bummed me out. Just because I was like, I don't fucking care, Chris. <laughs> At this point, at this point at the end of the book, I was really hoping your, like, cherry on top would have been something much more cool. And, right. Like an incentive, an insight, uh, more developed, more intriguing. And it, it just, I, I didn't find this to be that. But uh, there it is. That's a, that's a book. Yes. Do you have final thoughts? Yeah, I think I do. I, I um, there is a certain level of enjoyment I got out of reading this book. Um, and most of it, I think, had to do with reading a story about the Middle Earth and the Lord of the Rings mythos that I had not read. I was completely unfamiliar with. Sure. Like, like, like having, like, I've watched the Hobbit movies and the Lord of the Rings movies enough to have a pretty good grasp on the 
key moments that facilitate those stories even if they're wildly different in adaptation you you would you'd be like i understand where this came from yes even even if i can uh i i understand that tariel is a complete fabrication of the film world sure and doesn't exist in the book at all and arguably her inclusion and in her weird dwarf romance her interspecies romance with the dwarf uh knowing what little i know about the creation of the different species in lord of the rings that that is kind of weird and would have been a catastrophic and significant change in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, like just little things like apparently the, you know, the, the marriages between elves and men happen so infrequently in the history of middle earth that when they do, they are like very, very significant. And mm-hmm. there is apparently no recorded mating or like romance between or, or insistence of it between dwarves and elves and not because of some sort of prejudice, but like, I guess it has to do with again more of like stuff from the Cimmerillion about like how each each race was created and how they are like very different. I want to say biologically, but it's all mythology, right? So like essentially the way it's described as cryptobiology. Yeah, but it's like the way it's described in, in from what I have gathered and, and read or listened to about the Cimmerillion is like the dwarves are straight up made of. They're basically made of stone. Like they they come. Their stock is so closely resembling or like similar to rock and, and stone. Yeah. They're not, not literally. I don't think. Sure, sure. No, I get know, you. I get what you're you, saying though. When you go to, when you go to the mines of Moria and everybody's rotting, they're all flesh and bone, but like there's something biological or like, again, it, to do with their creation that makes them more like stone than the elves are like something else. Like are they light or, or air? Maybe. I don't remember, but, but sure. I, but I know that the way it's described is like that there's a pretty significant difference between the two. Okay. Like, things and and with the notion that like humans and elves are much closer closely related right so anyway and it may have something to do with like i don't remember exactly because i'm not a i'm not an, a tolkien scholar but it's something like one of the valar created the the dwarves and a different valar created the elves and so because each of those valar represent or have an a, a a, are in tune with a different part of existence that those creations of theirs are imbued with more features of the elements of creation that the Valar represents. So if you were going to mix a Valar that, despite what Pixar's upcoming film would tell you, when you mix a Valar of fire and, and a Valar of water, they're probably not going to make happiness. They're going to make uh, a, a, Steam. A, a reaction, a, oh. you know, uh, yeah, a... a exothermic reaction or whatever it's it's it's, I love it's just that word. it's just likely not going to be uh the kind of thing you want sure so b- besides all of that i was really hoping for more of that in these appendices a little bit more of like uh or excuse me i'm talking about my review of the whole book so i i got that i got more of stuff like that where i was like okay this is fun this is cool i'm enjoying being in this world in a different way Mm-hmm. Um, and in, I think probably one of the most fleshed out ways I could expect to get on my own without listening to someone basically tell me their interpretation of the Cimmerillion. Sure. Um, because as I understand it, it's complicated and difficult to listen to or read. So, so I really enjoyed that, but, uh, I think there's a lot, I don't even think this is, I don't think I've ever read a book like this. Like remember when we read Raptor Red and it was like mm-hmm. the way Raptor Red was written, it was this odd sort of like first person raptor perspective. Right. I think occasionally there would be like a third person descriptor of like 
the the happenings around the world in ways that the the raptor wouldn't necessarily be able to understand like you know what a flood is or things like that but but like there were things like that where you would the reader gets a little bit more information but the primary section of the book is written from first person raptor perspective and i thought or first raptor perspective and i thought that was really clever and cool and weird and i don't think i'd ever read a book from an animal's pov like that and uh, that was fun and different and this one's kind of like that where i don't know if i've ever read a book that is frankenstein together the way this one is where you have all these different elements and source material bits that somebody else who was not the original writer had to cobble together in a cohesive narrative fashion. Right. And, and hope that it all made sense. And then also being able to see those spots where it feels like some of this feels like it was more fleshed out than others. So presumably that means that this was stuff that was actually written down by the, some of this was in the Silmarillion, right? Yes. And then he took all this cutting room stuff and set and made an alternate cut. Yes. Basically. Yes. So I think that from that perspective, it was a fascinating experience just to read through something like that Mm -hmm. uh, with that foreknowledge. Um, But I don't think it was a particularly enjoyable book. Right. I don't think it was a book that I'd really recommend to anybody who wasn't seeking out those things. Yeah. Seeking out those things I described, like seeking out either a completely unique, different reading experience or specifically looking for just more in canon Lord of the Ring content. Like, I bet Stephen Colbert loves it. I would be, I would love to ask him, you know, there's these legends of, I was thinking about this the whole time reading this book about Stephen Colbert being such a massive uh, Lord of the Rings fan that he, you know, when he went down to, to guest star or do a cameo in The Hobbit when he went to New Zealand and they uh, they had like a Lord of the Rings contest for mm-hmm. like, like, like a trivia contest and he beat everybody on the movie set. Right. Um, and that's impressive. But I wonder how it, I, I actually wonder quite a lot of things about him in relation to this now. Since since you brought him up, I will indulge them. Um, OK, I, I wonder things like so one, I wonder how much of this book he knows about and how much of this book he how much of it is committed to his memory like so much of the other stuff is. Right. It seems like I wonder I wonder if you asked him. What was if you asked him trivia questions like what was Turin's uh, what was the name Turin took when he uh, took refuge among the men of Breathheel? Turumbar. Turumbar. Yeah, we know that because we just read it. But like I and it's it's honestly probably one of the more surface level questions in this, sure. from this book. Well, I mean, I I feel like it stands to reason he's read the Silmarillion. Yeah, that's true. So and probably liked it. So this would just this feels like it might just be a lark. Like, oh, that's interesting. That's a different take. It's a different this, angle. This feels like the movie version of the Cimmerillion, but in book form. Or also like back in the day when DVDs had the alternate angle feature. Yeah. And like they almost never used that. Yes. And you could be like, oh, I'll watch it from a different shot. Like this is what that book is. Yeah. Um, but but back, but but on, on Colbert. So I have done a little bit more like l- learning about Tolkien and his works and his life and stuff, and especially in regard to the Cimmerillion, one of the things I learned. Okay, I'll start backwards a little bit different. We uh, just to reestablish, we know Stephen Colbert bears a massive Lord of the Rings fan. We also know that he's a devout Catholic. Mm. We also know we know we also know that he is, I think, probably wonderfully intelligent and romantic, and uh, at least that's what he, he projects. You don't hear about his toxic work set. You really don't. You really just mostly see him being a, a, a gorgeous goof. Mm-hmm. So Tolkien, I learned, is also a Catholic, I think. 
which I, I wonder, uh, and we know that he spent not a lot COE, of time. huh? Huh? Not COE? I don't, I think he's a Catholic. Hmm. That, and even, even if he's not, I don't know how much it would throw a wrench into this, but I think he's a sure, Catholic. Sure, sure, sure. But we also know how much he was vehemently opposed to allegory in his stories mm-hmm. and how much he was, in these stories, and how much he was deliberately not making comparisons to Christianity or Catholicism in his writing. He very much, uh, as far as we know, wanted to leave that to his friend C.S. Lewis to do. And boy, did he. (laughs) I also learned that Tolkien lost his parents early in his life. Hmm. He lost, he was essentially orphaned, like with no mother or father, uh, by the age of 12 or 13. I also know that Stephen Colbert is a devout Catholic whose father died. Father and I think a couple of his siblings died in a horrible plane accident when Stephen was seven or eight. Oh, my God. I'd never heard that. Yeah. Very, very uh, integral part of his character. I also know that Tolkien. Okay, so let's talk about Aragorn and Arwen. Okay, so a big part of the Aragorn and Arwen story which I've not read, but as far as I understand it, is that Arwen sacrifices immortality to be with with Aragorn and to continue the line of kings with him. Mm-hmm. So she 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 makes an, the ultimate sacrifice. Still going to live a long time, but she accepts mortality, and in that she also like lives with Aragorn throughout his life and watches him die. There is certainly an element I think in that story. Where through Aragorn, Tolkien is expressing his value for life in its expendability, in its in, in its its brevity, brevity, yeah, it, its ability to or its its nature of simply being uh, finite, finite, yeah, yes, and and in that, that's the I think one of those big lessons to Arwen in that moment is. The beauty of death is that it's the end of this experience that you only get the one time. You only get to perceive the universe as a part of it in one shot. And your perception of that that shot is condensed and you, you live a long time. And you experience all these wonderful, beautiful things. But the only reason that any of that has any value is because it is limited. It's 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 like every other resource we have. The only reason gold is so valuable is because we know there's a limited amount and we know that it has wondrous properties such is existence. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what Tolkien was was communicating. And, and I think that my my theory is that Tolkien being a Catholic and losing his fam- family at such a young age shocked him with this as his reality of how he is going to live his life and appreciate the the time he has left knowing how quickly it can get snuffed out and mm-hmm. how much can be taken or lost if you will uh, while not becoming a cynic and i think that is exactly what happened to stephen colbert mm. is that through through his catholicism and through his loss i i, I theorize that speculate that Project? he <laughs> yeah, that he, um, he, I think, found a kindred spirit in Tolkien in that same way. Now, can't, mm-hmm. granted, Stephen Colbert, I believe, is the, is a, um, one of like 12 children or something insane. 
and his mother was alive for was still alive for a long time. She very much got to see him become successful and famous and, and, and all of that. And he has a variety of siblings. He, uh, if you watch enough of his shows, you can hear him rattle their off their names. And he, he it, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more mm-hmm. than I have. I think that like there's an element there of how he coped with his own loss. I would I would love to know how Tolkien played into that in reality. I would love I would love to interview the guy and just ask him specific questions about his about this about nothing but his relationship to Lord of the Rings and try not to I mean maybe I'm over embellishing it and maybe maybe because I'm you know I'm complete I've never met the man I'm completely ignorant uh, but it ju- I just see these patterns there and I wonder sure. if these patterns are a product of my own perception or if they are more. And I don't think people ask him these questions often. And I don't, it's probably because they're being polite and nice to him because he has no reason to answer them and they're very personal, but (laughs) they are, but it, 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 I do find it interesting to get more into, like, I wonder how much, uh, cause he has a ridiculous level of commitment to this lore, Mm -hmm. you know, and to understanding the amount of things that go into it and all this other stuff. And I find that fascinating. He's also has the same sort of commitment to the Catholicism and to the, the mythology of Christ. And I, I just find those things so starkly parallel that I, I just have a lot of curiosity about sure. that in him. So, yeah, if we can get him on the show, <laughs> that would be really, really, really That's cool. That's a get. Yeah. That's a get. Um, that would certainly be something. So I, I, it's odd that you brought him up because I have had all these thoughts through reading this book but had no real reason to to express them. Sure. Like had no, I didn't feel like it was worth taking a note. Like, oh, now that we're talking about uh, Nogothrond, how about we talk about Stephen Colbert? And like, I just didn't feel like that made sense. But it, anyway, those are all things I've thought about since reading this book, and I am curious about. And it would be wonderful if our producers could get Stephen on the show. But anyway, that's my overall. I think of the book itself is uh, all those things I said. I think I've completed it, Rob. How do you feel about the book? Um, well, I don't have anything nearly that deep. <laughs> but I do have reasons why I did not like the book and why I do like the book. Oh, fantastic. So, first of all, let's me take you back to high school. Okay. Uh, it's 1963. Yep. <laughs> Freshman year. <laughs> I discovered this little class called Algebra. Okay. And I liked it. Yeah. Algebra's great. Algebra is a goddamn mystery every time I get to be Sherlock Holmes. I solved for X to find out who that mysterious X was. Right. It was great. 1 plus X equals 3. X is 2. Aha! Quadratic equations, a little more complex. I couldn't do them now if I tried, but I liked it. It was fun. It was cool. I liked algebra. Sophomore year. Geometry. Geometry. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. And it didn't help that we had a really young teacher, like, you know, the 22 to 25. So it was just like, basically, this is just geometry. Here you go. And I'm sitting there going, I don't understand the point of this. Here's a problem. I could solve the problem, but that's not what you want from me. You want me to go to the back of the book, look up the proof that it works, that describes why this is what it is. And that's what. That's what you want? And you he couldn't, you know, being a young teacher, couldn't explain to me why that was necessary, why that was important, why that was a thing that we were learning. And so I'm like, this is just stupid. I hate everything. I hate this. This book is geometry. This is Tolkien geometry. Because you said it. You said, I find it helpful to go to the back of the book, look up names, 
this book, unlike a fantasy, a fantasy book introduces you to places, introduces you to concepts, introduces you to people and tells you things. And you say, oh, now I've got a frame of reference. This book throws you in it and you have to go look in the back and find the proof about what's going on. And I couldn't be bothered. I couldn't do that. And so I just kind of glazed through it all. Yes, absolutely. That's why I didn't like this book. This book was Tolkien Geometry. Mm -hmm. Why I did like this book is because it was also like Kung Fu training with weights on. Mm. I was doing other moves. It sucked. It was a slog. But when I get to The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, I'm going to (laughs) fly. Yeah, that's true. So thank you for that, I guess. Uh, the cruel tutelage of J.R.R. Tolkien. Well, Christopher, more accurately. Sure. Because I think uh, uh, if you're, if you're, if you, if I have a moment to come in, and I don't want to interrupt you, so I'm asking. No, no, no. I, that was that, those are pretty much my two points. Fantastic. I actually I agree with you so in so much. I had a remarkably similar experience with algebra and geom- and geometry. Uh, my difference was my sophomore year. I got both mm-hmm. geometry and like fundamentals of chemistry or something like that. Okay. Two classes that I that I should have been able to do really well in. Both and this is look, this is just my experience. I'm not trying sure. to say anything larger than that. Both classes were taught by teachers who had distinct and different and difficult to decipher foreign accents. Ooh, interesting. And when you're talking about two subjects that are both essentially language courses, they really are more about how to speak a language of than any other and than anything else. The language of the universe, the language of chemistry, the language of geometry, those things are vernaculars you have to get through. And when I could not get through the difficulties I was having learning that stuff with uh, with teachers who could not communicate very well with me in my language in, in English, mm-hmm. it it completely destroyed any uh, interest or um, faith I had that I would be able to make this work. And it was awful. And I, I did not do very well in those classes. I thought I might not entirely thought I would be held back from school, but it fucked me up enough to where like, I don't think I passed chemistry. I think I ended up going into astronomy, which I think still qualified as my natural science course level, okay. which I was, cause I could, I understand astronomy much better for many reasons, but like, but, uh, with, with geometry, it was like, I still needed to get an upper level, like math course. Cause I, fa- I basically failed those classes. I still needed to get an upper level math course. So I had to be enrolled into a like secondary learning program that would still qualify for high, high school credit outside mm-hmm. of the school system that sure. cost my parents actual money. Mm-hmm. So I had to do that for a while and resented it and hated it, but I did it. And I, and, and I had to do something similar in college with algebra because by then it was years later and I'd already lost whatever, whatever I'd had done. Cause I saved it for like my last semester. So whatever prep I had in high school was gone. And then by then again, it was like, it was just moving so fast. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and, and it's not the kind of language you can do without building on it. You can't master the end of the class without mastering everything else that comes before it. Cause right. you have to use all those things to build upon them. Right. And so, like, I would just get really – I remember calling my mom one time and just, like, basically, like, having a panic attack, being like, I don't think I'm going to be able to graduate from college because I cannot do this. Like, it's it's just too fast. They aren't letting me learn this. They are just ch- chugging through it. 
and right. I don't know how to learn it on my own. I don't have that skill. So I had to do another a similar thing where I had to take like an uh, I don't remember what they call it, but it was like I lucked out and in my my college had this sort of secret course that only the most needy would would learn about. And it was this course where you could take a summer statistics class for your upper level math credit that was taught on the military base by a professor of the university whose specific job was to help soldiers pass math. Mm. And so I found a way I I had learned, I had heard rumors of the secret (laughs) class and that you had to ask for First rule about math club. Yeah. You had to ask for it specifically and and directly. Mm Mm-hmm. And they had to do it. And he had to do it secretively. Like when you go to the the advisor, you had to be like, um, "I was told that I need this." And then they go, "Do you have the right password for this?" And then you have to <laughs> give the right password. And then they go, "Okay, we will give you this." And that's how I graduated from college. <laughs> I I had this I had this this course. And and the most fucked up thing about it, Rob, is I I played it up like it was this special secret course. Implied for stupid people. The reality is that was the best math class I've ever had because that teacher didn't fuck around with bullshit. He had no expectation that you would remember anything. That wasn't the point of any of this. The point was to familiarize yourself with the concepts of statistics and mathematics so that you can utilize them and learn when you can utilize them. Because in life, you're going to be able to look at the back of the book. Mm -hmm. In life, you're going to be able to look at that proof and go... Oh, yeah, that's the one I need to use right now. No one but mathematicians and statisticians are going to be people who are going to need to remember these things reflexively. Right. The average person does not need that. So why make needing that or why make mastering that even temporarily a requirement? It makes no sense. It, it's it's not it's not rational. Right. It's like negative one of of, of reason. It's irrational. <laughs> that's a math like- joke, bitch. So that's how I did it. And, and it was it was a, a massively insightful class. And I was like, this class is amazing. I love math. I love statistics. I love doing this work. It makes total sense. I understand how I'm using these data sets and building this these representative models and all these other things. All that made total sense. And then I didn't have to use it again. My wife also took a class either with the same guy. I think it was maybe with the same guy or, or a, a similar class. Mm-hmm. And now her job is to basically do data science and stats and shit fucking amazing because it's like it's a it's a again it's a math that like if you if you communicate in a way that is rational and makes sense and is practical you could get people to actually attach to it and learn things so i'm i it's remarkable that you had a similar experience to me in high school with like struggling with those things and and then I, i i can also see what you're saying like in in a normal fantasy book where you would have stories about like in the appendix where christopher talks about how they couldn't be moving forward or whatever word he was using mm-hmm. in this in this path, because that would be going the opposite direction that they're all they're saying they're going or they need to go. He knows that because he's his whole life has been deeply entrenched into learning that shit because it's his dad's work. It's where he makes all his royalty money in his living is right. by being the steward of the Lord of the Rings. Right. He's the Denethor. Exactly. Of what Tolkien. He is. Yes. Yes, exactly. And he and he is not going to break his scepter. In a, in a book that I, I think one of the things that he mentioned in, in, the, in the appendices is that 
his father was never satisfied with this story. The part of the reason he kept going back to it and moving around and not finishing it was that he, he had an epicness that he wanted to achieve with this book that he was never, he never felt like he achieved. And I can completely understand that and relate to it and understand and all that. Uh, and I think that a big part of that that still remains in this book that you were talking about are these things like uh, the names of the of the rivers and things like that. Where, let me see if I can find one. I think it starts with a C. Yeah, here's a great part. The Kabed in Aras, the, the deer's leap, a deep go- uh, gorge of the river Tiglin where Turin slew Glaurung. It's also where... Uh, Naniel leapt to her death, which is why it's called it's called something different later. But the point is, with that moment, if you had spent, if this book had been six hundred, maybe twelve hundred pages of actually taking the time to dis- all those things people complain about with Tolkien's work, where he describes the surroundings, he introduces you to these places, he tells you the stories of how they became significant and. And, and, and what they look like and he breathes this life into them apparently I've not read them but I, I, I hear tell that he does that this book doesn't do that this book is the is the footnotes it is the it is the rapid fire like this is this way this goes this way they are here but you have no emotional attachment to those locations so there's mm-hmm. no reason to remember Carib in Delor or whatever it's fucking called is any more significant than anywhere else same with all the elvish cities I know that I could probably remember their names, but I can't necessarily easily remember why they're significant or if they look different or any of that shit because it's so brief. And and all of the descriptions end up just being shorthanded into the name of the place, Nagothrond, Doriath. I, I know where those are because we've just read the book, but if you ask me in six weeks, I won't remember. And I think that's a huge difference, like you were saying about fantasy. Like, you could probably remember pretty well i don't know i'm I'm gonna take a shot in the dark here but like you know what the hundred acre wood looks like sure right i I, all i need to say is that and you know what i'm talking about you know where you know all those things i don't have that neverland in narnia too exactly but i have nothing no recollection of that for many of the place names in this book and i think that that i'm hopeful that that's just simply a side effect of the man died before he could complete his vision uh much like uh George R. R. Martin's gonna do, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> you don't know. Yeah, I I'm pretty confident he could he could do the next two or was it two or three books? Two books? I think it's at least two books. And the reality again is that he has been promising one book for a decade. Yeah. Oh, longer. I'm sure. Yeah. Was well, so the other guy uh, Roth Roth Rothfuss Patrick yep, Rothfuss? Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, also, that book probably I don't I, he he has more of a chance of getting his third i believe in final book out although he's talked about how it's just going to be one trilogy in a world full of possible stories and you're like nah bro that's not happening yeah i mean if you're going to spend your time enjoying life and twitch streaming all the time patrick uh of course of course you're not going to finish your fucking book <laughs> you want to you want to enjoy life being a, a rich father who gets just twitch stream all the time go ahead man but that, that but stop selling us that you're going to finish your story and finish it <laughs> um have you read those i can't remember name of the wind nope i really kind of enjoyed them <laughs> um i have not read them i i i sorry let me get back to my mic i've not read them i own them um 
they are in the list of, of you know, hey, everybody says these are great. I might as well squirrel them away uh, for, um, for when we can read them. But I would really like the last book to fucking come out before we start them. There, there's a part in the, I think it's the second book where it just becomes complete male fantasy. And you're like, uh, okay. Ah, sounds great. <laughs> um, it's not bad. It's just, you're just like, meh. But he does have a very compelling narrative. Raises some things. You're like, oh, I want to see that pay off. Any day now. <laughs> um, great. <laughs> uh, well, hopefully his third book will do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, at heard... this point, I would much rather his third book come out than the rest of the Game of Thrones because I've totally dumped out of both of those, the, the series and the show. Oh, yeah. I, I have... I find that the, the, the charm of the Game of Thrones was very much like the charm of Lord of the Rings, where it's it's about getting into the world and experiencing the world and feeling like it's real because so much of it is fleshed out. Mm-hmm. When the narrative finishes on TV and you know that a good chunk of how that goes is definitely how Martin intended it to go. Right. Then like, and I'm sure that the show finishing is another huge part of why he just has not been as productive mm-hmm. because it's like, what's the point? His story was told everybody. It, it's it's like the spoilers are out. Everybody knows where things are going. You're, what are you going to do? You're just going to tell them harder. Like it, it's even if it's more, uh, digressive yeah and does other things i feel like like you said a lot of those beats are going to be the same yeah so and whatever uh but i I feel like with all of those it's the the charm of the world is the thing that brings people back but that's the thing about tolkien that's so fascinating is that like the core four books that he has are complete and finished and Mm -hmm. apparently very good well also um i don't think i've heard I, i like we've mentioned Pat- Patrick Rothfuss and, and jo- George R.R. R. Martin as the two big heavyweights of fantasy. I'm not sure anyone has ever put as much work into their books as Tolkien did. Well, we haven't even talked about your your favorite um, in relation to those fantasy worlds. Terry Pratchett. Yeah. It feels like a different beast altogether. Okay. They're just, I mean, they're they're overall lighter and they're often a way to examine things we all deal with but through the lens of fantasy so you can you know kind of mm. poke fun at it got it and so less and they, build on, they build on themselves but you don't feel like he's got reams of discworld history sitting around the way tolkien right. did right yes exactly uh it's also funny to listen to uh, if you've ever watched the interview between um martin and stephen king where they had like some sort of like on stage at oh. a festival or, a, or mm-hmm. a con or something interaction. It's it's really fascinating to watch because parts of it are just George R. R. Martin saying, like, how do you write so fast? And and Stephen King basically is just like, cocaine. <laughs> but without cocaine, it is just, like, discipline. Like, I, I, he doesn't say it that hard, but, like, like and I don't want to – uh, like I'm not one. I don't want to fat shame anybody, but if you look at if you look at George R. R. Martin and you look at Stephen King, discipline is a word that would come up <laughs> as a um, difference. I I will also say just from the various afterwards and authors. No, it's funny that you bring that up because that's what when I was reading the appendices, 
it, and I was thinking, I wish Tolkien had written these. Mm-hmm. It, I was thinking of all the um, author's notes and Stephen King books that I actually actively look forward to when I'm reading a Stephen King book. I'm like, I can't wait to see what he has to say about the writing process of this. Yeah. But just the things I've gleaned from him is he writes the way other people breathe. He fucking loves the action of writing. When everyone's right. like, oh, I hate writing it, that's not him. He's right. writing, he's writing, he's writing. Next project. And I'm like, oh, right, I've just found an entire novel I don't remember putting out. Or ever, or ever, you know, putting to paper because I write so fucking much, and he's that rare writer who just—that's just what he's doing. Now that being said, though, he does have a reputation for fucking up endings. So, and I think that my guess is a part of how he his process, having no experience reading him, um, but my but just from what you've said, my expectation is that his, part of his process would be very stream of consciousness. And I think in, you're right. And in that way, you can just continue to spit up onto a page or yeah. 600 until you're done. But like the difference between that and having a, I think I've heard it two different ways. There's like this method of um, writing where it's like either, oh man, I'm going to fuck this up. Sorry to all the people who, all, all anyone who's reading, listening to this, who knows what I'm trying to get at and is mad that I'm fucking it up. But you can either be an architect or you can be a gardener. It's something That's like great. that. Yep. It's, That's it's great. Like, it's like either you're constantly pruning, pruning something that is blooming around you and trying to just make it work, but it's already there. Or mm-hmm. it's, you, just have to, you just have to plant it or get it out. And the other is the person who constructs the thing they're building. I think that's exactly what it is. And I guess his... Yeah, my guess is that he's more of and I, again. I'm sorry for fucking it up, but in this in, in this version of it, he's the gardener. He's he is the definitely the gardener. Just... He doesn't seem to have quite the affinity that Tolkien or Martin has with the um, symmetry of story. The right. this needs to pay off in this magnitude here because I set it up here. It's like you said, stream of consciousness, doodly 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 do, yeah. and that's why. And his his depth of characterization is amazing. His descriptions are amazing. The the the. The fears that we all have, he can tap into, similar to you know how a great stand-up comedian is making observations about things we all experience, but we don't necessarily codify in our heads until they say it, and we're like, oh my god, yes, it's an everyday thing that we all have, and that's hilarious. He's really great at that, and you feel you know fear sometimes when you're reading it, or sympathy, or things, and then you get to the end, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. all this, all this construction, this writing was great, but it doesn't have like you said the structure. Yeah. of a, a story yeah that's why you, short stories are probably more satisfying usually because they're shorter and he can see the end as he's writing them you're describing universal truths universal is, truth is how yes. they're called referred to sorry i'm sorry i just it's not my intention use the word codify okay go i did or you i did way to go um, but that thing you're describing these these relatable fears and laughs yes universal truths um, the uh, the you're in a universal dick <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah I uh, and I feel like that being the architect is part of why the, the children of Huron is such a clusterfuck in mm-hmm. that in that way it's 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 a partially finished blueprint of a building he never built. And I would argue it's all the leftover material from building a building that was then cobbled into a smaller ramshackle building. 
oh yeah that sounds good too it's a hut yeah that's like where uh that sounds like where uh fuck what's his name no fucked it up should should have had a better brain um it's magic of editing if you want to just take a moment i'm gonna look it up i'm gonna cheat i'm gonna cheat Oh, I got it. I didn't need to cheat. I remembered it. <clears throat> and in three, two, one, that reminds me of like the house where Charlie Bucket lives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sure. I don't actually know if that's what it was like in the book, but it just trying to trying to think of like someone whose house is made up of ramshackle like scraps. No, that's. I think. Are you now? Are you referring to the Depp movie or no, the well, Wilder I'm, movie? I'm referring to the book. You, I thought you hadn't read it. You just said you hadn't read I've it. I've read. I've read Charlie in the Chocolate Factory before. Okay. Yeah, school. I believe in the book it's very specifically thrown together. Whereas I will, I will always think of you know the Gene Wilder movie. That's that's my uh, Chocolate Factory, and they had an actual little place. Honestly, it's probably in my head. It's more like the uh, the foot hangout, the foot lair in the Secret of the Ooze, where. The entire structure is made up of old car parts and old like metal and scrap. Skate ramps. Yeah. No. No. Was no. Skate, that was the first That's the first one. Yeah. Part two is there in, they're, they're in the junkyard, and they I have own, the. Yeah, I. I remember it's a little too rough. That's about it. Yeah. I yeah. definitely remember that first one with Sam Rockwell and the bald dude being like, "Go play." Tatsu. Yes. Um, sure. All these we characters all have... have names and lore, Rob. You have to know them. <laughs> Okay, Christopher Tolkien. <laughs> um, okay, so yeah, I think that that's a good way to wrap up this book. Um, mm. I am looking forward to uh, the next book because oh, yeah. I hope I'm excited to read an actual fantasy story as opposed to the loose adaptation of a Genesis-like history. Sure. Which is not to, I'm not trying to be mean. It's just, that's, look, if you love this book. I can't believe you were so mean. What a dick. Great, great. I'm a universal dick. Yep. Nice okay. Well, before we finish this We've up. let's codified new, your dickishness. Let's new word alert. New word alert. I don't have any. I got two. And okay. they both come from this book because I didn't do okay. much other reading. So here we go. Fair enough. Clave. Claude. Clave. Isn't Claude a French R&B singer? Mm, perhaps, but this word is... Clave. Clave? Clave. Is that like the past tense of cleave to cleave? Yes. Okay. It is the past tense of cleave. He Because cla- that's the only way I could make that word sound right in my head, is he clave that guy in twain. He did. That's exactly where it comes from. Is when when Turin Brandier. kills Brandier, he okay, he that was makes sense. clave or something like that. Is it's yeah. just one of those words where you're like, I think I know what this is, but I'm gonna look it up just to make sure. Fair it's enough. Not, Fair enough. It's not a word you get to see the past tense of often. Sure. All right. Here's another one. Very similar conjugal issue. A thwart. A thwart. Yeah, that's exactly it. A thwart. Uh, is it like the verb version of? thwart like like he thwarted him or no i guess thwart is also a verb so i'm not sure what the fuck i'm saying no that's a good it's, you're, you're you're not incorrect in your attempt okay okay <laughs> it is incorrect but i get i think where you're coming from is sound 
your logic sure. is sound. The problem is it's not that. It is just a fucking weird way of saying across. So, like, that tree is athwart the river? Uh, or, uh, yes, or to mean in opposition to. Hmm. So, like, uh, the, the example they give here in, in the dictionary is, in procedure directly athwart the New England prejudices. Well, then it could, it's still related to thwart. Well, thwart to me means to to stop something, to to like to like uh, to defeat. Like, but you're often defeating right. your opponent, right? So but the person is, you athwart, or the no, person this, you thwart, is your thwarted thwart. Fuck, I've said no. Too much it, now. This this is <laughs> this this word very much is like in conflict with. Sure. This is in opposition to the the river was athwart the valley. Hmm. It is. It is. It is crossing through. It is digging through. It is. I mean, I'm sure that might not be a good one either. But like, uh, I think the, the 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 definition they gave here, or the example about it being like, it's like it's like conflicting. It's mm-hmm. like these are conflicting opinions. These opinions are athwart. Okay. And that's that's how I guess I it would it would work. But I think that's that's all I have. Just those two. So unless you have any more, we can. We can start. We can start the engine on the rest of this. Let's do it. All right. Well, next time, ladies and gentlemen, I look. This is so funny to me. I found. I, I pulled open my. Um, so the next, we're gonna read the Hobbit next, guys. I dug out the copy I have. That, hey, no spoilers for the edition. Edition. Oh no, no. This is not. This is actually. This isn't. I had. I. I grabbed my copy of the Hobbit mm-hmm. that. I had purchased from our local bookstore who does a wonderful job of putting these labels on their books that tell you exactly when the store purchased them from a seller, from a, somebody sure. who brought in the books. Because it's a used bookstore. Because it's a used bookstore. Yeah. This one, just to tell you how long I've had this book, was from January. It was sold into the, into the store January 15th, 2012. And since we've been doing this podcast, I also found in it my pre-note of what <laughs> our chapter breakups would be. Oh, that's great. And um, so, keeping that in mind, the first chapter will, the first episode will be chapters one through four. And, you know, we can talk about whatever precedes that stuff, too. Any, anything like... I'm excited for this uh, for reasons that will become apparent next episode, Good. I've got I've got some secrets. Oh, that's interesting. As do I. Oh, and well and then. ladies and gentlemen, I, I guess we should say join us for our 150th episode of Death Readers, where we kick it off, kick off the next thousand episodes <laughs> with the Hobbit. Yeah. Boy, I wonder if Lord of the Rings will take us through 200. Hey, I uh, as a, oh, as a bit as a bit of a spoiler for next episode, mm-hmm. I actually have this too. <gasps> is that the same thing I have? Perhaps, but all I know is that it is 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 it looks like this. It looks what, like this. What does what does the side look like? This the spine. I wouldn't be able to show you that. Oh, that would nuts. be a spoiler. Okay. Um, but perhaps, perhaps I, wonder... I bought this yesterday. Oh, well, then maybe we will uh, be on the same page. Oh, my goodness. The same exact pages. Well, then. 
well then we'll let's let's just see each other next week see each and, other next and, week and no sooner <laughs> at all um okay well fuck it that was death readers i'm doug i'm rob thanks for listening thank you if you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at patreon slash deathreaders. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit.